0: all week, but, you know, he does the same to me, so, you know, fair is fair, right? But it really is an honor. Herbert has always been one of those folks in my life that has lifted me up. I shared that with you even since I was a child. I remember Herbert supporting me and loving on me and, and lifting me up. I told you, he just picks up the phone sometimes and says, Brother, I'm not going to keep you. I just want to tell you we appreciate what you're doing out there at Antioch. We love you and we're praying for you. And then Herbert's gone, just like a little gnat. He's in and he's out. But... um <laughs> It's an honor to be in his pulpit, and because he entrusted me with it once again, Herbert, I have brought you a gift to remember this week. I told you all the almost completely false story of how Herbert killed a turkey when he was little Herbie, killed his pastor's turkey with just one fell swoop with a stick. Now, that story wasn't true, but there was a small truth in that story. You see, Herbert has this habit, and I guess he probably still does, that when he's out in the woods or when he's just walking around, he'll pick up a stick. I don't know how he chooses his stick, but he picks up a little stick and he just walks around. One day he was doing this. Now listen, true story. I've confirmed this one. He's walking around. Y'all don't believe me, do you? Come on, I'm telling the truth now. I'm like the boy that cried wolf. I'm telling the truth. He's he's walking around seminary, just walking around, whistling, waving his little stick that he had. I don't know if he was directing the birds singing or what. I mean, what were you doing, Herbert? But anyway, he's got his little stick, and he walks into Professor Durham's class. And as he does, he's still doing this, you know, unaware that he's really doing it, just out of habit. Professor Durham, he looks at him, he says, Mr. Brown. He's no longer Little Herbie. He's Mr. Brown. Mr. Brown... What are you doing? What is that? Herbert said, That's a beauty indicator. (laughs) Professor Durham in all his dryness said, Looks like an ignoramus eradicator to me. (laughs) Herbert, come take your ignoramus eradicator. That's a true story. But I'll tell you what. There's nothing ignoramus about Herbert Brown. Because he figured out what the real ignoramus eradicator was early on in life. And he started to apply it to his life. And tonight, even though I'm a little sad that we're about done, I'm tickled to grab this ignoramus eradicator and try to resurrect just one more thing. This week I came to you telling you that in order for us to have revival, we needed to know what that meant. It meant to revive. It meant to breathe new life into something that was dead or dying. I told you there were five things that I believed with all my heart were dead or either dying in our nation, in our lives, in our churches, and if we didn't get them right, I didn't think there was any hope. But... Because of God's Word, because of the Scripture, we have been able to revive and resurrect up to this point four of those. We've been able to bring back to life righteousness by begging for it as David did in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, renew within me a right spirit. If we want to be right before God and do right before God, we got to beg Him for help because let's face it, we can't do it by ourselves. If any of you think you are strong enough to do the right thing and be the right thing according to God's Word always, you may be dismissed. I do not want to waste your time. But we know better. We know just as David, a man after God's own heart, sinned so wretchedly that he had to come to God and say... Fix me, Lord. Create in me a clean heart. Renew within me a right spirit, because I understand, God, what You said in Leviticus 11. You said, I'm holy, therefore You want me to be holy. And so I get it, God. Please help me. We had to beg for righteousness. And then I said, get into God's Word to figure out what is right, according to God's standard. Get into this book. If we don't know what's right, it's because we're not reading it. It's in black and white. It's written on a fourth grade level if you've got the King James, and some of the other ones are even lesser than that. You can... You can understand it if you'll open it and read it, because the Spirit will make sure you get it. But we've got to be sincere to read what's right and beg God to help us do what's right. I told you a good place to start was James 4. As we repent of our sins, as we are truly sorry that we have messed up so royally and been the cause of the decline of this nation, because, folks, I'm telling you, the decline of this nation has happened on the backs of church on our watch. And we've got to be repentant of that. James 4 said, be repentant of that. Draw near to God so he draw near to us. And be sure that you're just reaching out to Him, trying to have that relationship, which is the whole reason we were put here. He said, submit yourself to Him. Why wouldn't we want to fall in line with God who has all the answers, who knows everything about everything? Submit to Him and finally resist the devil. And because we understood that was important, we decided... To just, hey, let's bring restraint into the picture. Let's bring him back to life too. We determined that restraint has been dead and gone in America for many, many generations at this point. And it's sad. We've got to get back to a point where the church is seen as something that matters because they take us seriously. They see that we can say no to sin. That we can avoid the lust of the flesh and be different. And yet, the churches look just like the rest of the world. In fact, it's sad that these days, a lot of times, those who are outside the church are telling us what we're doing wrong. It should never have been such. But it's happening. God doesn't want to look down into the church and see the world. He just wants to be able to look down into the world and see His church and see them showing a little self-control, manifesting the Holy Spirit, that fruit of the Spirit in their lives, so that people say, man... That guy, that lady's a rock. Look at, did you see how they avoided that temptation? Just because they're trying to please their Lord. There must be something to this. We have got to do better. And I believe that you determined with me on that evening to bring back restraint. And we do that by remembering the truth of James 3-7 that all animals can be tamed, even the wild animal of temptation. Folks, you will be tempted and that in itself is not the sin. Jesus himself was tempted. That didn't make him a sinner. He resisted it. He tamed those things that he wanted in his flesh, being fully man, and said, Nope, i got something better. We've got to tame it just like a wild animal. Further, we have got to keep our eyes on the exit from this world and its allure to the entrance to the next world and its perfection. And the only exit and entrance out of this world and into the next is Jesus Christ. He said, I'm the door. You want to get to God, you go through me. We have got to, in Hebrews 12, thought processes, keep our eyes focused on the author and the finisher of our faith so that we can say no to the garbage that the devil's throwing at you. And let me tell you this, it's just false promises anyway. I promise you, what the devil's telling you looks so good, in the end all it brings you is just a heaping pile of guilt that makes you feel awful and have to go to the Lord and say, I'm sorry for this one more thing I did to help hang you on the cross. And so we breathe breathed new life into righteousness and restraint. Then we moved on to respect. Now, respect just doesn't exist anymore, does it? We don't respect God. We don't respect His house. We don't respect His creation, which is humanity. We don't care about anything anymore. We don't respect anything. But that's not the way it was when I was growing up. Just in one generation, that changed. And how sad. But what we can do is once again begin to treat the Creator and His creation properly according to what He's worth to us. And I don't know about you, But knowing that he gave me life to begin with, everything in my life, and then eternal life at the cost of his sons, makes him worth everything to me. So I determined in my life a long time ago, I'm going to respect God. I'm going to respect the Creator and His creation. I am going to remember that that's what He deserves and what He demands. Didn't we read that in Proverbs 9:10? Didn't we find out in Ecclesiastes 12:13 that's our whole purpose of being, that we'd have a relationship with Him and respect Him and fear Him and revere Him in every way? Didn't Jesus confirm that in Matthew 22, 37-40 as He said, "...the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself?" We saw these things and so we determined and you know what? we better get this one right too. We need to start respecting God and His creation based on His infinite worth. And then we didn't stop there. Last night we jumped on old responsibility. We yanked that rascal up out of the grave and said, We are going to accept our part, our failure in the demise of this country and our churches and our communities. We're going to say, you know what? We realized we didn't stand strong for the Lord. We sat by in our lazy boy pews with our feet kicked up, singing our Christian songs, and let the world do whatever it wanted to do. We, the moral majority, became silent while the immoral minority stood up and spoke. And I'll give you a perfect example. It's been mentioned here several times this week. One woman was loud enough to take prayer out of the schools. Where was the church? I was a kid then. What were y'all doing? Folks, really? You put a lot of extra work on our generation. we got to stop that now. We've got to take responsibility and say, we messed up, Lord. It's our fault. And we're going to do our part to fix it. We're going to stand strong for you again. How do we do it? Just like David, once again, Psalm 51. That boy messed up big time. Many committed murder, adultery, fornication, lust of the eyes, everything else I could name, all in one fell swoop with Bathsheba. And yet he goes to God. He says, forgive me. Cleanse me, create in me a clean heart. He, he took ownership of it. we got to take ownership of our failures. And then David said after that, now that I've taken ownership, show me how to get it right. Show me what to do and give me the strength to do it. And so last night we yanked responsibility up, breathed new life into that rascal, and that leaves us with just one. How many of you have been listening so close that you remember what it is that is dead that we need to talk about tonight? Reason. Y'all know his nickname? Common sense. He's also known as wisdom. But wouldn't you agree with me that he's dead? We need to grab a hold of that rat's going to give him some spiritual CPR tonight. And there is no mistake that I've left reason, common sense, wisdom for last because I think if we get this one, I think the rest of them are going to be alive and kicking just by default. I believe if we could get back to some semblance of common sense in this nation, and quit being foolish as we have been for so long, we can turn things around. Amen. I believe there's hope. Now I think time is waning. I think time is short. I do too many things, too much writing on the wall, but I think there's hope. And I believe that we've got to get back to common sense and wisdom. I hope we can get Him up again and going so that it will spare us more of God's righteous judgment and get us back on track to God's... Beautiful blessings that He once showered showered on this nation. Well, let's define it first. Reason or wisdom or common sense, whatever you want to take it. When I looked it up in the dictionary as reason, it said wisdom or the common sense to take what is known and employ in practical manners. Okay? Wisdom or the common sense to take what is known and employ in practical manners. You know what that really means? It means figuring out what's right and doing it. That's what wisdom is. It's not knowledge. You can have degrees all over your walls and be dumb as a brick. And I know some of them folks. I know some of them folks. And I'm going to tell you what. I'd rather hitch my wagon to folks who's got good old common sense than a bunch of degrees on the wall any day of the week. I really would. Because not only have they figured out what's right, they figured out they need to do it. James said something about that, didn't he? He said, be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only. A lot of people fill the mind up and they might even know this book, this wonderful book that God's given us from cover to cover, but it never affects their lives in application. It's always what they use as a window to look out at somebody else saying, oh yeah, that's what they need to do. But it never becomes a mirror to show them what they need to do. And I'm going to tell you something. There's one person in this world you can change, and it's the one you see in the mirror every morning. It ain't the one sitting beside you. It's nobody else in this world but you. And when we would pick this thing up and let it help us figure out what's right, and then we actually put it into practice, man, we're on to something. It's called common sense, reason, wisdom. Yeah, you know, here's a good working example of common sense or wisdom. Now, we all know what sleeping pills are, right? Do you all know what laxatives are? One of them is made to slow you down. The other one's made to speed you up. You know that, right? Would you all say that if you didn't, I've already taught you now, that a sleeping pill is to slow you down and a laxative to speed you up. You got it now, right? That's knowledge. Now you know what they are. Here's wisdom, being smart enough not to take them at the same time. I I want you to think about how bad a night that's going to be. You're probably going to cause a lot of problems at home, and I'll end up doing a bunch of marital counseling because you're going to wake up in a pile of something. But anyway, I would submit to you, though, that common sense, wisdom, reason is figuring out what's right and then doing it. But we've lost the understanding of how to do that. We've lost it. That lady, look, Darlene's going to lay an egg in a minute. Now, I want to assure you that it's dead, and I'll tell you how I know that. I printed out some warning labels off of products made in the United States and sold in the United States today. On a hairdryer, it says, Do not use while sleeping or showering. Now, obviously, I don't need to worry about a hairdryer. But if I were to use a hairdryer anymore, I cannot imagine doing that in my sleep. And, you know, I can't do it in the shower because, duh, I forgot to put an electrical outlet in my shower. But whatever. On some frozen dinners in our supermarkets right around here, serving suggestion, defrost. (laughs) Didn't you see Herbert with a frozen Salisbury steak trying to munch down on that thing? On a package of bread pudding, product will be hot after heating. They should have told that 79-year-old lady that poured that coffee in her lap, that one. Uh, Now, listen to this one. On packaging for clothes iron, do not iron clothes while wearing. I have been watching Corey all week, and I was trying to figure out why that right ear had a big burnt spot on it. Corey, brother, you got to take that thing off before you get them collars ironed up, okay? (laughs) On children's cough medicine, children's cough medicine, do not drive or operate heavy machinery. (laughs) I can't tell y'all the times I've called Mike at the keys to my bulldozer and said, have at it. (laughs) (laughs) On night sleep aid, warning, may cause drowsiness. This one, Mithy and I experienced ourselves on an airline. We were on an airplane going to, um, I think it was the Philippines at that time, and they brought around these little packets of peanuts. And on the package of nuts, it says, warning, may contain nuts. (laughs) We kept laughing at that thing, but I'm here to tell you, we kept asking for them, too, because it was Korean Airlines, and nothing on that flight looked anything else like food except for those nuts. I mean, they were bringing seaweed soup and all kind of stuff, so... more, even understanding there was a warning saying it might contain nuts, but it goes further. On that same packet, it said instructions, open packet, eat nuts. <laughs> Folks, would you agree with me that common sense is dead, just dead? Because they put those warning labels on those products because somebody didn't know that. I mean, really. Really? Somebody tried to use the hairdryer in the shower. Somebody didn't realize a sleeping pill made them sleepy. It's just nuts. We've lost all common sense. It's dead. And it's funny, but it's sad. It's so sad because we've let that bleed over into the spiritual realm as well. And folks, I'm here to tell you, wisdom, common sense, reason is necessary for a believer. It's necessary for our country to survive. If we could get a few, just a few politicians in office with just an inkling of common sense, things could change just with that. But if we could make sure the church got a hold of just an inkling of common sense and do the things that we'll talk about tonight, we could truly turn this world on its ear. I promise you it could happen. The Bible has the understanding, the necessity, the need for wisdom over 229 times within its pages. Now, folks, I told you this is the inerrant, infallible Word of God. This is His love letter to us. This is the instruction manual for life. This is it. And we've neglected it so badly. But the bottom line is, if God said it one time, that makes it important enough for us to stand up and do something with it. But don't you think if he puts it in here 229 times, he's trying to drive the point home? But as he's talking about reason, common sense, wisdom, it's mentioned 229 times. For centuries, Americans had this down pat. It's why our nation flourished, because these were folks that didn't even get through school. They had to quit 4th grade, 5th grade, if they were lucky, 8th grade. So they didn't have any degrees hanging on their wall. But they were so innovative, so inventive. So industrious that they figured out how to build a nation. These weren't all learned people. Very rarely did people have degrees in those days. They did so well because they had common sense. And you know what? The church grew through those ages because they also had common sense enough to know if God said it, that settled it, that's what they needed to be doing. They weren't trying to redefine everything in the world like we're trying to redefine it now. They took God at His Word and it worked. That's just pure common sense. They did a whole lot better job than we've been doing because they used what they knew to be reasonable and right to affect their lives, not just to fill their brains. Again, it's not enough to put it in that onboard computer. It's got to act out in your life. And if we're to breathe new life into reason, it's going to require three things. Three things. The first one, just like begging for help in righteousness, we've got to beg for help in regards to common sense. We've got to beg the Lord to give it to us. Have any of you read a little book called James? It's right here. It's just five little chapters. And whenever somebody comes to me and says, you know, I don't know where to start. You know, I need to be reading my Bible more. I don't know where to start. i tell them, read the book of James. And then when they're done, they say, where do I go next? I said, read the book of James again. And when they're done, I'll do it a third time. And here's why. It's only five chapters, but it is full of practical information, common sense stuff that helps us as Christians put our boots on the ground and know which way to walk and what to do. I mean, just full of it. But in James 1.5 it says this, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth liberally and upbraideth not, and He will give it to you. Think about that. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. I've just established the fact that I think we've killed reason, common sense, wisdom. So it sounds like we all lack it. Now, I'm not calling you ignoramuses. I'm just saying that we haven't been exercising a whole lot of common sense over the years. And we need to be going to God saying, You know, God, I do realize I lack common sense and wisdom. had not been doing with it what I should. Would you please give me a and helping? Because that's what it says He'll do. It doesn't say He'll just give you a little bit. He says He'll give it to you liberally. I mean, He's just going to give you a heap and helping of help into that till it's running out of the cup and you're drinking out of the saucer. If you want wisdom, ask for it. What did Solomon do? Solomon, I've told you, I've been quoting him all week long because he wrote some pretty powerful things. Solomon was known as the wisest man to ever live. You think he was born that way? Not hardly. God said, you know what, Solomon, you've been doing a good job. I'm going to give you anything you want. Ask anything you want. I mean, it's almost like having a genie pop out of a bottle. Only better because there ain't no such a thing as a genie in a bottle. But God's real. And God says, whatever you want, Solomon, what do you want? He said, God, would you please give me wisdom and discernment to rule your people well. He had the right motive. He had the right resource because God can give whatever He wants to. God connected them. He said, all right, there you go. He became the wisest man to ever live. And he wrote some things that we've been talking about this week that would help us tremendously. He gave him wisdom liberally. It says if you ask for it, he's going to give you a heap in helping. You're going to get it, no doubt. It doesn't say he might give it to you. Read James 1.5. I ain't making this up. If you lack wisdom, ask for it. He'll give you a bunch of it, guaranteed. But remember, Solomon's motive was right. Make sure yours is too. You don't need a bunch of discernment and wisdom and common sense to say, oh, look how smart I am. That's not necessary. You ask it so you can please the Lord and revive common sense and reason in our country and in our churches to make a difference for Him. Number two, we need to use the ignoramus eradicator. That little stick I gave Herbert might have been labeled the ignoramus eradicator by Professor Durham, but this is the real deal. That's just a stick. I do think that was brilliant, though. I tell you, I wish I could have met Professor Durham. because Yeah, I can see Herbert now. Huh? Well, we gotta beg for it and we gotta pick this thing up and use it, folks. Amen. You know what I think the number one problem in America is today? Biblical illiteracy. That's right. Can you tell me where the Ten Commandments are in Scripture? Do you know what the Ten Commandments are? Can you name them all? Can you recite the books of the Bible? Do you know who wrote most of the New Testament? I'm just asking. These are just simple questions that we should have learned in Bible school or Sunday school or somewhere. But you'd be surprised as I travel through the Christian community how many people haven't a clue. I can make up some kind of little balderdash quote, something that I came up with that sounds real flowery, put a thee and a thou in it, and you'd be surprised how many people would bite saying, oh, that what scripture is that? Folks, biblical illiteracy is killing us. If we don't pick up the ignoramus eradicator, we're going to be ignoramuses. We're not going to have any common sense, no wisdom, and no reason. Just saying, how in the world can we neglect the only textbook that ever mattered, the textbook that God wrote for His kids, His pupils, His students that He loves so much? And we can't just read it, because again, if you just read it, it doesn't do much much good, does it? I can tell you all day that if you stick your hand in the fireplace, you're going to get burnt. You can have that little bit of wisdom, a little bit of knowledge, but if you don't have the wisdom enough to keep your hand out of the fire, you're still going to get burnt. You can know what this says, but if you don't apply it to your life, do not wonder why your life's going to hell in a handbasket. Don't. It's because we'll be in ignoramuses. Here's what we've got to do with this ignoramus eradicator. Psalm 119.11. Back to David. Good old David. He said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I like the way that reads, but when you read it straight from the Hebrew, it says, I have taken your word, I have stored it in my heart like a treasure. Is the Word of God a treasure to you? Or just an ornament under your arm on Sundays and Wednesdays and then a coffee table decoration the rest of the week? Is it a treasure? This is life, folks. This is how it's supposed to look. And He said, I took it and I've taken your word and I've stored it up in my heart just like a treasure. I'm keeping it locked away right up in here so that when I need it, I'll know exactly what what to pull out and use in common sense and wisdom to get through the temptations, to show some restraint, to be more righteous in God's eyes, to take responsibility when necessary. Thy word I have stored like a treasure in my heart. Jesus was tempted in every way that we could ever possibly be tempted by Satan incarnate. You see, Satan picks on us now in subtle ways. He uses other people. He uses all kinds of temptations and things, but he was just right up in Jesus' face. At the most vulnerable time of his life, he'd already been out there about to starve, walking around. I mean, it ain't like he had a car or something to take out to the desert. He's out there just in really bad physical condition, and Satan is right up in his face, tempting him with everything you can imagine. And yet Jesus never flinched. How did he combat the devil? With Scripture. With Scripture. And you say, well, he was God. He was fully human at that point. You hear me? He used the Word to fight Satan. Who do we think we are? To go into battle without knowing the Scripture. Most of you, if you were to enter into a debate with an atheist, would get chewed up and spit out like yesterday's lunch. I'm not insulting anybody. I'm just telling you. We go into battle unarmed because we have not hidden the Word of God in our heart that we could display it in wisdom and fight for the cause of truth. Colossians 3.16 says something very similar. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Here's what that says in the Greek. Let the Word of Christ, and here it is, here's the Word, the Word of Christ take up residence in you abundantly in all wisdom. In other words, don't just read a little verse here and there. I mean, get into this thing and devour it. Do not rely on me and Herbert and your pastors or your Sunday school teachers to give you what you need. It's not enough. I want you to picture us like multivitamins. Me and Herbert's just a Flintstone chewable, okay? You get just a little bit of us every now and then. But was that what you would do to feed yourself and nourish yourself for all of your week? No, you're going to eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, a snack in between each and get up in the middle of the night and probably get something out of the refrigerator. You've got to feed this thing to keep it going. You've got to feed this thing to keep it going. Amen. Don't just take your multivitamins. Get into it and may it take up residence in your life abundantly. Devour it every day. Thirst for it. Hunger for it. Get into it and have it there. So beg for it, number one, as in James 1, 5. And then, as in Psalm 119 and Colossians 3, learn it. Get it in here. You can't possibly exercise wisdom if you don't know what's right. Remember what I said, figuring out what's right and then doing it? This is how you figure out what's right. And then finally, you must do it. Number three is to exercise it. You know, I think uh, this this thing that we call common sense or reason or wisdom, I think it died because we got complacent, lazy, and we just didn't use it. And when you don't use something, it goes back, doesn't it? We need to exercise it. Ephesians 5:15 through 17 for our last stop scripturally speaking tonight. Ephesians 5:15 through 17. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. I want to pick out just a few words there and give you a little bit more accurate definition from the original languages. I know you really don't care what the Greek or Hebrew words are, but it's important to understand what they mean because English is just, it's just a substandard language. It really is. But Greek is so thorough. And so I want to just pick out a couple of words. See then that you walk circumspectly. If I were to read that out to you a million times, you would not walk any differently because most of you have no clue what circumspectly is. I'm not sure I'd have had a clue until I looked it up. But from the Greek, it means accurately. So let's start over. See then that you walk accurately. How in the world can we know if we're walking accurately if we don't know what's accurate? And I'm going to tell you something, folks. There is only one absolute truth. And you hold it in your hands tonight, or at least I hope you do. You see, truth is not a fluid principle. It's not a matter of what you think or something that grandma told you years ago. It's not what a politician tells you is right or wrong. We don't need to start redefining anything. Accurate is right here. Truth is right here. And it will always be right here, or it was never truth. You see, God was the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so truth, which is spoken by God, will be just like that. So... Walk circumspectly or accurately, and this is how you do it. Not as fools, but as wise people. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. What does that mean? It means that we had better make every minute count, because as I indicated earlier, I think time's getting short. And I just ask you real simply, do you give a flip? I remember reading in Nehemiah several years ago, and it says he sat down and he wept and he mourned for four and a half months when he realized that the walls of his beloved city in Jerusalem had fallen and that everything had been laid to waste. He was so brokenhearted, he sat down and wept and mourned and prayed for four and a half months. When is the last time that any of you wept for even four and a half minutes over what's happening in our country? Because, folks, it's as sad as it's ever been. We had better start making the time count. Make every moment count because the days are evil. This is no longer prophetic. This is real. This is now. The days are evil. We are living in the times of 2 Timothy 3, which talks about there coming a time when people wouldn't care about anything but themselves and we would live very perilous times. That's where we're living right now. We better redeem the time. I get it all the time. Preacher, you need to slow down. And Herbert, I know you get it. Herbert's in fifth gear all the time. All the time. Every time I see him. He will slow down long enough to speak to me, hug my neck, take off. But I tell you, you don't slow him down for much unless it's a visit. And even then, I see them wheels turning. That's what burnt the hair off. He's trying to figure out, where am I going next? Where am I going next? He's running all the time. And I'm doing the same. And I know he hears what I hear. You need to slow down, preacher. You need to catch your breath. You need to get some rest. Let me tell you something. There are people out there by the millions dying and going to hell. And I don't have time to rest. And you don't either. Unless you just don't care. We need to get into that mode of understanding what Nehemiah did, that time matters. Things are falling apart in this beloved nation we call the United States of America, which is anything but united anymore. People are dying and going to hell because we're not being the church. We need to redeem the time because the days are evil. How can we do that? It says, Wherefore be ye not unwise. And I am calling you stupid now because that's what this says. Be not unwise. That word directly from the Greek, when I looked it up in my lexicon, said stupid or silly. He's saying, redeem the time. Quit being stupid. Quit being silly and doing what you think is right. Get back into the Word and in the vein of Proverbs 3. Lean not on your own understanding, but God's. And do what's right. Understanding what the will of the Lord is. Folks, when we do this, we can watch common sense rise up out of that grave like our Savior did on that third day. And we can watch our nation rise again. We can watch our churches flourish once again and have some credibility instead of being the laughing stock of a nation. We can once again have a little bit of say in how things go rather than being the only ones who don't have freedom of speech anymore. We gave that stuff away because we've been acting so stupid, so foolish. Boy, if we get this one right... I believe righteousness, restraint, respect, responsibility, and our precious relationship with God will all flourish. Not only will they survive, they'll thrive. And everything around us will too. And then we can bask in the promises of Proverbs 4. I want to read to you just a few verses. You can mark this, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. And it's talking about wisdom from the very beginning. Get wisdom, get understanding. Forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost remember her. Look at what wisdom will do if we'll just employ a little common sense, remembering that God is perfect. Psalm 18.30, As for God, His way is perfect. Ours is not. If we would remember that, and then Matthew 6.33, Seek Him first and do the will of the Father, then everything else is going to work out. These five precious comrades that we've been talking about all week will live on and make a difference in our nation. If... We choose to revive them with our actions from this moment forward. But that is the biggest question that is out there. If the reality is, many of you will leave here and be just like you were when you came in here. That's the reality. You say, boy, that's a fatalistic attitude. I am eternal optimist. I really am. I try to find the beauty in all the garbage I see. But I've done a lot of revivals over the globe. I've seen very little revival. And it ain't because I didn't do my job. I am not an eloquent speaker, will never be, but I have read to you the truth of the Word of God and how to revive righteousness, restraint, respect, responsibility, a relationship with God, and finally reason, common sense. The question is, what are you going to do with it from this point forward? Father God, thank you. Thank you for every moment that I've been given the privilege to stand here, to open my big mouth and share your truth. Father, I pray that these folks would see that this is not me speaking out of anger, but just out of genuine frustration that we, myself included, just have not gotten it right. And we have killed these five things that are so critical to the survival of the church and our nation, our homes and our communities. Father, I beg you that we would answer that question if with a big old, yes, sir, you better believe I will. You told Israel in Second Chronicles 7.14 that if they, your people, would humble themselves and pray and seek your face and turn from their wicked ways, that you would hear their prayer and that you would forgive their sin and that you would heal their land. Father, help us, Your people, to do this. Help us to humble ourselves, be sorry for what we've done. To pray with all our hearts. To seek Your face once again with all that we are. So that You will heal our land and forgive our sin. Forgive us for being so complacent, so lazy. Showing such lack of restraint and responsibility being anything but righteous before the world, and neglecting our relationship with You, which is our main duty. But I pray that tonight during this invitation, whether the altar fills or whether your throne room fills, because people stand right where they are, I pray that the people under the sound of my voice will hear Your voice, that Your Spirit will move them to change. Otherwise, God, I fear that if these wonderful people, if your people won't make the changes, there really is little hope for us anymore. Oh, we're saved. We'll be with you one day. But oh, the discipline we're going to see between now and then, and all oh, the blessings we've lost. And oh, the people that might step into a very real and burning hell because of our lack of sincerity. May it not be so. Move us at this time to do what you would have us to do in Jesus' name. Amen.